5. So we're in Revelation chapter 12. We thank all of you all for being here tonight. Those of you that are watching, wherever you're watching from, uh, we just give thanks for you as well. Let's pray and uh, we'll get into the Word. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you most of all for dying in our place, Jesus, and delivering us from our sins. We just ask, Lord, that uh, the whole world could see that. Let us do our part to share with them your love and truth. Mold us and make us into your image, Lord. May we be more like you when we leave here, Lord. We we are all on a journey, Lord, and sometimes we miss the mark. And We know your grace and mercy is there to help us and forgive us and set us set our feet on solid ground we just pray lord that you'll be with us tonight give me the ability through the holy spirit to speak your word in jesus name amen so we're going to get into chapter 12 the bottom of chapter 12 we went through some of it last week or week before and uh so we're going to go down to the bottom of the chapter there uh and um some interesting stuff being said here uh, in uh, chapter 12. We talked about, um, let's just go back to verse 10 and pick up in Revelation chapter 12. And then I'm going to take you on a little journey tonight uh, after we get to the bottom of this chapter and uh, share some stuff from other parts of the scripture. Says uh, in verse ten says, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the king, and the and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Now that's an interesting statement there, uh, and we covered this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Well, I want to go through this again, and because of what's going to be said in the remainder of the chapter. And then he says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. So those are the three things that stand out about somebody who's overcome Satan, right? Uh, the, the blood of the Lamb, which is Christ's sacrifice, the word of their testimony, which is not what you and I have accomplished, but what the Lord's done in us. That's our testimony. <laughs> uh, we, we were... We don't accomplish anything in our own strength. Without Christ, we can't do anything. So my testimony consists of what Christ has done in me, not what Matthew Robbins has accomplished or how far along I think I am. How many of you know this, that you get so far down the path and you start feeling good about it and then the Lord shows you something else? (laughs) You think, I'm still in first grade. Uh, So he... He is our testimony, right? What he's done. And then this last thing is who did not love their lives to death. So those criteria, that's what makes us an overcomer, that kind of criteria. When you think about that, there's so much scripture in the New Testament that talks about us taking up our cross daily and following Christ. If we're not going to take a... The cross is an emblem of death. So that's, a, that's relating to us that we're dying. Paul said, I die daily. You're talking about the greatest preacher that ever walked to earth after Christ, of course, the Apostle Paul. Yet he said that about himself. He talks about crucifying the flesh, putting it to death. Because you and I wake up every day, and 
though you may have been delivered from many things that were going to destroy you, that will to do your own thing still exists in all of us. And so we have to make sure that we surrender that to the Lord, that we put that to death, that we sometimes we have to die daily. And so somebody who's really going to be an overcomer is going to die to themselves. They're not going to seek any credit, any glory for themselves. They're not going to draw attention to themselves. They're going to point all the glory back to, back to God, Jesus. That's what Jesus did. When he was here on earth, we were studying in Mark this morning, when Jesus was here on earth, whenever he would do something for somebody, he'd say, go to the priest and show, uh, do what Moses asked you to do and don't tell anybody and just do that. He was trying to give the Father all the glory. Right? And he wasn't seeking any praise from men. That's, he, what if we lived that way? What if all we sought was God's confirmation? That we wasn't looking for people to do that. We were just looking for God to do it. And that's how Jesus lived. And he got it, right? He, he received it on the day he was baptized. The Holy Spirit came. And the Lord spoke and said, This is my Son, right, whom I'm well pleased. Same thing happened on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. When he, that's what Jesus was after. He was looking for the confirmation from God the Father. And, and, and so what if we lived lives like that? What if we trained ourselves to seek His confirmation, His affirmation, and not what other people thought? So all that's the criteria for somebody who's an overcomer. And it says they overcome that way. They love not their lives to death. And we saw that, I preached on that a couple of Sundays ago about this crowd in, Revel, in Hebrews chapter 11 who chose to die. The Bible said Moses chose to suffer affliction with God's people rather than the pleasure, pleasures of Egypt. You know, and that's why fasting is so uh, not practiced much in the church anymore because it's, it's not fun. Fasting's not fun. And true prayer, uh, the, the flesh don't get into that easily. It, sometimes the flesh is dragged kicking and screaming, especially those solitude times when Jesus said, you know, get in your closet, get away from everybody and everything and hang out with me. There's no reward there. There's nobody there to see you do it. Nobody there to pat you on the back. And then, you know, Jesus goes on to talk about this. Some of the things that we're asked to do, we're supposed to do. They're not, they shouldn't be optional. And so he gets into this thing, and here's what our cultures fell into. And it's, it's made a bunch of uh, babies out of our culture in so many circles. Jesus said, does the guy who's doing what he's supposed to do get patted on the back? The answer is no. You know, you had that child. Don't complain about raising it. That's your responsibility. You don't get patted on the back for raising a child. I mean, you brought them into the world, you take that responsibility. There's a lot of things. Is the, you know, Jesus gave that whole parable about that. Now, then he said after that, he said, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, and see. Now, look at uh, verse 10. I heard a loud voice, salvation, strength, kingdom, and power, for the accuser of the brethren who accused him before our God day and night has been cast down. Now he picks back up with that. Same thought here in verse 12. It tells us to rejoice uh, the inhabitants of the earth and see, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. So let's talk about that. First, 
Jesus saw the devil get cast out of the heaven where God dwells, in the third heaven. In other words, he was no longer, he had to get all of his stuff and get out. Right? He, his, he was, he's no longer allowed to dwell or live there. Now, we find him clashing, or, and the demons clashing in the heavenlies, below where God dwells, at least some level below. We don't know exactly how many levels there are. How do you get to God in whom there's no end? And then we also see the devil show up in the book of Job, right? When the sons of God are showing up, he shows up with them. And he's doing what? Accusing Job, right? So we have a practical picture of what's going on with all of us. The devil, depending on how, I guess, how prominent we are in the spiritual realm, uh, might depend on how much the devil accuses us, right? If we just look good and we don't really mess with the devil stuff and we, just, we don't really pray and sacrifice and do all that, the devil's probably not going to spend much time with us. He's going to go after the people that are being effective against him. One of my friends um, who's in Texas, uh, acquaintances I should say, um, talks about a, a time when he had an encounter with a demonic spirit. And his encounter happened in a hotel room where he was holding meetings in a town. And this encounter, when he was awakened in the middle of the night, and he realized there was a demonic presence in his room, and he looked down at the foot of his bed, and there was a demonic presence in his room. And here's what's interesting about that. He said that demon spoke to him, and he said, uh, here's what he said, the demon said to him. You go on to church. You have your meetings. You prophesy to one another. He said, but he threw his hand up and said, but stay out of my kingdom. In other words, the devil don't care if we have church as long as we don't get serious about it. He don't care if we tell each other good things as long as we don't get serious and start trying to win the loss start getting on our knees daily, start getting in the Word of God every day, start taking a stand against evil, that's when we pose a threat to Him. So I wonder just how many people the devil is really having to mess with, right? How many people are really serious about it? I thought that was an interesting comment that he said. In other words, you know, a lot of people, church conferences are no different in some ways than otherworldly conferences. A lot, let's just be real. I know guys, whether it's coaching, teaching, all kinds of business situations, a lot of them go to conferences just to get away and play. Same thing with church guys. They, they don't really serious about it, but we can be, you can be, I can be. We can be serious about it, especially if we start taking Jesus' word serious and how he talked about it. So the devil is accusing us, whoever, God's people. Now, in this situation, here in the middle of the tribulation, he's kicked out of even doing that. So he lost his place in heaven where God's at. Now he's getting kicked on out, and it looks like he's getting kicked to the earth. Because here's the warning, right? He says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you and having wrath because he knows he has a short time. Now, I don't know if this is his wake-up call where the devil really realizes, hey, I'm not going to win. 
<laughs> you know, and maybe he's already figured it out. Maybe he hasn't. But at this point, it looks like he knows this thing, his day's coming to a close. So he's kicked, let me follow me, he's kicked out of the main heaven. Let me just call it the main heaven. He's kicked out of the main heaven. He's no longer allowed to stay there, keep his belongings there, whatever. Now he's down here in the lower heavenly area, traversing and doing battle with Michael and Gabriel. We read about all that, right? He's accusing God. He's able to still have some audience where he's accusing you and I, whoever, God's people. But now, in this moment, he's kicked on down. And he's kicked down to the earth. Now, the earth is in trouble because the earth's already dealing, the people that's left here and the earth itself is already dealing with God's wrath. He's been starting to pour out. And now the devil's kicked out of traversing in the heavenlies. Now he's in the earth and he is not happy. And so now you're going to have a situation where the devil's going to go. It says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now we have a reference to Christ because everything is in him. And, and I took you back here a few weeks ago when Paul talks about the seed, he gives us an English lesson there. He, he's very clear about that. He said, Not to seeds but to the seed. Remember me talking about that out of Galatians? Paul talks about how all the promises of Christ, I'm going to say this clearly now, all the promises of Christ are yes and amen, not in the church, in the Christ, in Him. See, we've made the church be the organism. The organism or the life is in Christ. It's not in the church body, it's in Christ. The church body gets its life its resources, its help, its health from the Christ, the seed, not the seeds. And so there, there should be, and there's been a heavy debate in theological circles over the last 15 years about this, there should be a clear distinction between, let me put this on the board, between the begotten Son and the rest of us. He's the only begotten son. The rest of us are offspring of Adam and Eve. Jesus, the Christ, Yeshua, is the offspring of God the Father by the Holy Spirit who gave His Son in the form of flesh through Mary. But the seed was from the Father. And so we need to make a clear distinction of that. I'm blessed... Not because I've learned something over the years. And I thought about this today when I went to pray. We should not be proud and arrogant about what we think we've learned. We should be humbled that the Holy Spirit has revealed the Son to us. That should be humbling. It shouldn't make us proud and boastful and arrogant and like look down at others. We should be thankful that God has revealed His Son to us. It shouldn't be something that produces pride in us. It should be something that produces humility in us. That God, do you realize the sheep don't run around looking for the shepherd? That's not how this works. The shepherd looks for the lost sheep. We don't run around looking for him. So it says, the dragon saw that he's been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman. The woman is, represents Israel. 
But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place and she was nourished for a time, times and a half time. So this is when God rescues the remnant and takes them and they're going to go into Petra and places like that to be spared. But the devil's now down here on the earth trying to wreak havoc uh, himself. He's come down with the false prophet, with the Antichrist, all that. So it says, so the serpent, let me back up for the time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of the mouth, out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened up and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon, excuse me, was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So he wasn't able to, 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 to destroy the Christ, obviously. We know the cross and the resurrection secured that, the seed. But the rest of this woman's children, he's going after, to make war with the rest of her, and keep the, the ones who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what's happened is, let me go back to my board, this abomination of desolation that took place uh, has revealed Jesus to the Jews. So now they're seeing that they missed the Messiah. And they're turning back to God. They're starting to keep His commands. They realize they missed the Messiah at this point during this season of the tribulation period. So now the devil's focused. The devil has hated everything God has done. Your Messiah, Jesus, is a Jew. He's a Jew. That's his nationality. Jesus is a Jew. He was born to the Jewish nation. Born through Abraham. So she's, go, she's being protected by God. The devil's down here causing havoc. And so what I want to teach you about tonight, a little bit more extensive, is why all this has to do with Israel. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. This, this verse, you know we are big proponents of Israel in this church. We support them uh, materially, uh, prayers, financially. We, we, we've supported Israel. I've been a supporter of Israel since the 90s and every church that I've attended or been the shepherd over, we've supported Israel. I'm going to make a few statements here, but I'm going to read out of chapter 12. The, most of you have heard this verse. Uh, in verse 2 and 3, he's talking to Abraham, which the Jewish nation was birthed out of. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you and you, are, and, you, and you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, everybody says the preacher is going to say something about himself. Alright, so I'm not saddling you up with this, okay? I'm just going to tell you how I live. I don't buy the cheapest goods. I buy based on relationship. I want relationships with people. I would rather pay somebody more for a refrigerator if I've got a relationship with that person than to get one cheaper because if my refrigerator goes out, they'll say, hey, come get one. We'll work it out for you. Instead of going to another place and they say, here's your 800 number, good luck. So I believe relationships are important. You don't have to live that way. I'm just telling you how I live. I buy American and I buy Jewish first. If I can buy something from Israel, 
something that's been produced out of Israel, even if it costs a little more money, I'm going to buy it. That's just how I live. Because I know if I bless Israel, I'm going to get blessed. And I am blessed. I live that way. I believe relationships. I believe in patronizing people. I don't always look for the cheapest price. If I, I want to have relationships with people. I want, I, want to, I, I, I want to help them because I know that's a two-way street if you build relationships with people. Right? I have a banker who charges more interest than the credit unions, right? But I have a relationship with them. I can call him on the phone. I don't have to run and jump through 50 hoops to get something done. That relationship's important to me because time is the greatest resource I have. So those kind of, that's how I live. I'm saying that because that's why I choose Israeli goods and American goods. I want to support. I'm not against the rest of the world, but I start there. And some things you can't get from Israel and you can't get from America. Some things have to come from Taiwan. That's just, that's just the way it is, right? But I start there, right? Because I, I, I don't have anything against the Taiwanese, but I start there because I, I want to bless God's people. I want to bless my people. I want to use people here. Just about 90-some percent of this project that you and I are blessed with come from inside this church. We, we try to, people that do this for a living, we employ the people right in this church because they tithe here. They give here. It means more to them than somebody just coming off the street and doing it. They have a spiritual investment here. They're all in. And if you, if you notice how God done us, he, everything we needed, He's raised up somebody right here in this congregation that can do it. That's tabernacle stuff. That's the way it went. God, the Bible said God anointed men to work with stone. He anointed men to do certain, He anointed them to do physical things. So you don't have to get in this pulpit to be a part of God's work. In fact, if we all got up here, there wouldn't be nobody down there. <laughs> so be a, a 300 of us trying to preach to nobody. So we, you, God has a, he has a plan and a purpose. And here's what I want people to understand. You would not be happy doing somebody else's role. You need to do what God's give you to do. You wouldn't be happy doing my role and vice versa. And, and you've heard me say this before, I wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't been called. I wouldn't touch this pulpit with a 10-foot pole. I don't want all that responsibility if, it's in, if, it's, if I was called by my mother instead of the Lord. I wouldn't do that. And you all know I ran for a while because I knew. I grew up in the church and I knew how serious it was. I run for a little while before I received what God was calling me to do. But what I'm saying is, you need to consider blessing Israel. And when I first got a hold of this, we, the first church I pastored, when, I, when God started revealing this to me, I realized how important it was to bless Israel. If you bless them, you're blessed. If you curse them, you're cursed. And so I, I, I started challenging our people that we're going to start taking on Israel as the missions, as part of our missions. We're going to bless them. We're going to help them some kind. We're going to get involved with helping relocate them, right? That's one of the end time prophecies that Israel would be going home and a lot of them have to leave. When they leave places like Russia, they confiscate their goods. So they can leave Russia, and that's what California is thinking about doing now, confiscate, it's crazy how the world is. But they'll lose everything. They may be wealthy in Russia and come to Israel with nothing. 
because they have to leave it all behind. They, <clears throat> a lot of that stuff gets confiscated. So I told our people at this time, we needed to build. We were full in our church we were in. We knew we needed all that stuff, but we knew. Two things happened. The first <coughs> church we built in Romania, we have a sister church in Romania. We, we needed a church. We were running, busting out the seams, but all of our people said, let's build their church first. Let's put them in front of us. We did, and it wasn't long until God done some miraculous things just like He's done here. But when our people, when I, the Holy Spirit was moving, obviously, they got it. I, this is the first church I passed. I said, we're going to start helping Israel. I share with them this verse. We started helping Israel. They all got it. Just about all of them got it. We started taking money up for Israel. Within seven days, 35 families in our church either got a raise or a better job. I mean, it was unbelievable. But it was God getting our attention. You know, hey, I'm in this. So I'm going to say this as loud, and I know my voice is going around the world. If you're a church, if you claim to be a church, and you're not supporting Israel, you are not fully in the will of God. You're not. You may be, you may be like Ephesus. You may be saying, hey, God may say, you got this right, you got this right, but I got this. You cannot be fully in the will of God unless you're blessing Israel. I don't care. I don't care. Listen, we had people give $5. It's not the amount. It's just having the focus and helping God. You, I tell every church I go to, you got to support Israel. You're, you're backing up if you're not supporting Israel. It's, we're called to do that. And you, you can start small and just what I, can, I, I can't tell you the people and churches that I've tried to share this with, how God has blessed them once they got a hold of that. So I am a patronizer. I want to do what God says. I want relationships. Now, let's go to Isaiah. This is going to be an eye-opener for you as we look at why Israel is so important to the end of time. In Isaiah chapter, uh, I believe it's 12. Let me see. Chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Let me read this to you. Just let this sink down into your ears as you think about God's plan and the end of time. Now, we talked about that male child, right? And then we talked about the rest of her offspring. We know who the male... There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots, his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Him's capitalized. We're talking about Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. We talked about those seven spirits earlier. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now, he knows the heart, right? It was, you couldn't think anything around Jesus, and he still knows, right? I mean, he knows what every one of us are thinking right now. But you couldn't be around Jesus and think something because uh, Jesus would say, why reason you in your heart? <laughs> you don't even have to say it. He knew it, right? And so the equity, and Jesus don't do equity like we think, right? 
like the world wants. The world wants equity. He want, they want uh, a level playing field where everybody starts from scratch, even the ones that don't do nothing but pick their nose. That's the world's idea of equity. Jesus said, hey, you got one talent. You didn't do nothing with it. I'm taking it from you and giving it to the one that's got the most. Now, that wouldn't fly in our culture. Jesus said, you're going to lay around and do nothing, be lazy. Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. That, a lot of people ain't going to like heaven. <laughs> so you get the idea. Jesus is perfect. So when he judges something, there's not going to be any appeals. It's going to be straight. It's going to be straightforward. He says, he sh- uh, with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Remember, he's gonna, we're going to see that later in Revelation. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be on the belt of his loins. This is Revelation kind of talk, right? And faithfulness, the belt of his waist. He's faithful. He endured the cross. I think he has some level of expectation that we're going to endure some stuff. You and I. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves. We read, read uh, Hebrews chapter 11. He says, The righteousness shall be the bell of his loins, faithfulness the bell of his waist. Then he gives us some idea of what's coming. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion. That's coming in Revelation as well. The fatling together. The little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole or the poisonous snake. And the winged child shall put his hand in the viper's den. A little bitty baby can reach in there on a snake. Because we're talking about a time when sin's no more and everything shall come back to peace. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And, that, and in that day, everybody say in that day. When you read that phrase in the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, he's referring to the end of time. So he says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, and who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros, Cush, from Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the islands of the sea. That's what we're watching. That's why this hourglass is here. The reason Israel is so important to you and I as Christians, not because we are practicing Jews, but because we watch what's going on with them, that tells us how close we are to the end of time. So God's been bringing them home. You have been a part of that. We help relocate them. That's a sign to the world. Now, he's going to finish talking about that here. He's going to gather them again. He's bringing them back home. He shall set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're witnessing. 1947, Israel became a nation again. 1948, I'm sorry. 1967, Jerusalem left the hands of the Gentiles. Jesus talks about Matthew 21, Luke 21, I'm sorry. He brings them back to the Jews. Now they control Jerusalem again. 
All those are prophetic signs. Now what do we see? We see people going home from all over the world to Israel, and even now in America. America was the last frontier for Jews to go home, but now they're even leaving America. The reason they were reluctant to leave America is because we treated them better than anybody else, and we should have if we're a Christian nation. But now even uh, Jewish people in America are starting to do the Eliab. They're going back to Israel, getting ready. They don't even know why. He's whistling, spiritually speaking, getting his people back to Israel because this thing is coming to an end. And that's, the, uh, that's why we keep our eye. That's why Jerusalem is so important. That's why the nation of Israel is so important for us to watch. So he says, it's going to be an outcaster gathering. From the forecome, the envy of Ephraim shall depart. So that's the banner, right? An ensign, I think, is how the old King James said. It's a banner to the rest of the world that the end is near. When you see Israel going home, right? When you see Jerusalem no longer controlled by the Gentiles, but back in the, and we see all that, then we know the end is near. And he says, he says, uh, the envy of Ephraim shall depart, the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah. Judah shall not harass, uh, harass Ephraim. So they're going get, to get along. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. See, that's one of the biggest fears, right? What China's doing. China's going to meet their demise. Right? They're going to meet, Russia's going to meet their demise. All these guys are end-time players. But when they get in the Middle East and when God shows up, it's over. And we'll see that here in just a moment. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab. The people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With His mighty wind, He will shake His fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of His people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel. And in that day, He came upon from the land of Egypt. Now, in Psalm, let me go take you back to Psalm chapter 2. So we, we're seeing all these guys have Russia's that bear coming out of the north. China's that uh, 100 million man army coming out of the east. All that, they're going to have a role to play, but they're going to meet their demise. Look at chapter 2 of, of the book of Psalms. In Psalm 2 he says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The, king of the, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Why do the elite, rich, arrogant people in this world want to conquer nature? They think we can conquer nature. I heard one of the most foolish things come out of they're trying to figure out a way now to block the sun. And they think Christians are weird. They want to block the sun. That's arrogant. How many times, and I've said this for 20 years now, and those of you who have been around me lately, I've said this, that's the one area that God lets us know who steal the balls, weather. There's not a thing we can do about it. He, he can make it rain, snow, sun. He, it's His call. And we're so, not us, but there's a group of people in this world that's so arrogant to think they can control. We can't even get it right half the time. Much less control. You've heard that old saying, right? The weatherman's the only guy who can lie like a dog and keep his job, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, 
But we, uh, he, he does his best. And we've got, I'm sure we've gotten a lot better over the years. But to control the weather, that is such arrogance. But that, that's the attitude of these guys here in Psalm 2. It says, and he, against the Lord, against His anointing, saying, let us break their bond, let us cast away the cord. We don't want anybody ruling over us. That's how this all started. That's what ticked the devil off, the Jews say, and that's what got Adam crossways because he started doing, they started to do their own thing. They didn't, they didn't submit to God's authority. And then he says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Now may, picture that. Only two times in the Scripture we find the Spirit or the, the Lord laughing. Here in Psalm 2 and the other one in Proverbs 1. When people just refuse His counsel. But here... Think about that. We never see another snapshot of God like this. This one place here in the, in the Bible, other than Proverbs there, people who've rejected His wisdom, He's talking about laughing. Laughs about them thinking they're going to overthrow Him. I, I wonder what God thinks about humans sometimes. I know. I, I, so I, sometimes I've done stuff, and I just I'm like God. I don't. I don't even want to talk to you. I know I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know. I know that was stupid. You know. I just wonder, who do we think we are? We got cell phones. God, look how awesome we are. I'm just like really. We. <laughs> so it says he's going to laugh. Uh, and the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Again, reference to Christ. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Huh. That's how big God is. I'm giving you all the nations, son. Every one of them is yours. We don't, we don't, we're not, we're not doing anything independent of God other than being selfish. But do you know the most critical, atheistic, denying person in the world could not speak a word or draw another breath if it wasn't for God? They're dependent. The guy who hates God or the woman who hates God and who is arrogant about it could not breathe if God stopped photosynthesis in their presence. They die. We need to remember, we are totally, and I'm talking to everybody that's listening to me, and it gets this podcast, you are not moving an inch without God. Not one inch. You can't learn anything. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar was the man, he thought, right? He thought he was so much of the man that he just force his own will on everybody and anybody went against it he'd just take care of them and God said hey those three guys are mine you ain't taking care of them I'm going to step in on this situation and then another time he comes out on his balcony and he acts like he'd done everything instead of giving God credit and God said okay I'm taking your sense from you he went out like a wild animal and grazed like an animal and his, and his fingernails grew like bird's claws, the Bible says. And then his sanity, do you realize that God could just pull somebody's sanity from them? We are totally dependent on Him. 
I'm preaching to you all, but I think I'm preaching to a lot of folks out yonder too. Everybody knows where yonder's at, don't you? We, <laughs> it's anywhere. Yonder is anywhere, in case you didn't know that. Yonder is down in the woods, it's out on the plains, it's over in Russia. Any yonder, wherever you're at. You and I are totally dependent on God. That's why men are going to tremble in feebleness when they stand before God and they realize they couldn't have even crawled out of the womb if it wasn't for God. And that'll hit them someday. And it's going to hit these guys hard, these kings. They're going to say, yeah, he says he's going to break. He said, I'm going to give you the nations right now and you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judge the earth. Now, so again, he's trying to get them to repent, just like he did uh, Jezebel and Thyatira, right? He said, she done all this crazy stuff, uh, horrible, sinful stuff. And the Bible says, but God said, I gave her time to repent, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't do it. You, you think about that. This woman has destroyed the church in Thyatira, and God still was willing to forgive her. Because the only thing that has value to God in this earth is people. I hate to tell everybody that participated here, but when the Lord comes back, this is going to burn the ground. They can have it too, can't they? This woman refused to repent though. Same thing's happening here. Look what he says to these guys. Now therefore be wise, O king. Don't get into this. Be instructed, you judge of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. That's the number one thing about wisdom, right? Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice and tremble and kiss the sun. Lest he be angry with you. You perish in the way when His wrath is kindled, but a little blessed are those who put their trust in Him. Turn with me to Zechariah. You want to see why Israel is the key for the end of time. It's one of the main keys for the end of time. You got uh, Zephaniah, and then Haggai, and then Zechariah. Look at ver chapter 12 in Zechariah. Let me share just a few verses with you. Verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. I want you, if you've heard me say this before maybe, I want you, when you read your Bible or listen to it, or both, pay attention to how many times Old and New Testament both. How many times God reminds us He made everything. If He made everything, and we know that He did, but if He made everything, then we're accountable. You don't, we don't get to just do our own thing. And He says, uh, here He does it again. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people, peoples, they shall lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. It shall happen in that day. There's that phrase again. In that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. All who would heave it away shall surely be cut in pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. So it ain't going to work. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion. And its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah. And will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the house of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of and Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan and woodpile. 
So there's, there's a time coming, and Jerusalem is already that way. If, you, if, you, uh, if we could look at the UN's agenda, uh, out of all the countries in the world, generally, when the UN meets, about 50% of its agenda is about one country, Israel. One little country, not much bigger than Maryland. Because it's the stumbling block. It's the devil. It's the world. It's all this working against God's plan. Let me, take you, let me show you one more thing here before we quit. Now, Israel, you want to keep your eye on them. You want to see what's going on with them. And God set them up for this time to be a sign to the rest of us. Now, we got these seven feasts that were given to Israel. All right? These seven feasts, we have Passover, we have unleavened bread, we have first fruits, and we have Pentecost. Then we have Feast of Trumpets, we have Yom Kippur, or Day of Atonement, and we have the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, all of these are pictures or plays showing us something about God's plan. These festivals, these first four festivals, are what's called the early rain. All right? These last four are the latter. And, you know, I grew up in Pentecostal churches, independent churches. My wife grew up in Baptist churches. But we all sang a song of... Uh, about send down the rain, Lord, send down the rain, send down the latter rain. We sang that song. Back then, we had no knowledge of what we were really singing. We didn't understand it. It was a good tune, but we didn't understand it. But since the Lord's opened the doors about Israel and, the, and showing the significance of that, now we understand it. The early rain is these first four festivals, and this is things that God did to show us a picture of His plan. So Jesus is the Passover lamb. He fulfilled this festival. Let's put a check mark by it. He was the unleavened bread. He had no sin, no leaven. He fulfilled it. He was the first fruits from the dead for eternal life. He fulfilled it, right? Jesus fulfilled these three festivals on the very days that they happened. The high priest was in the tabernacle saying the very same thing Jesus said on the cross. At the same time, it is finished. That was what he would say when he made the sacrifice. Supposedly looking forward to the Messiah coming. This is the early rain. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given in His fullness, what happened that day? The harvest started. The harvest starts on Pentecost in Israel. That's when the harvest starts. They start gathering the harvest on Pentecost. That's when the 3,000 people were saved. That's when the harvest started for the church. The significance of this, the Holy Spirit came on that very festival. So all four of these festivals were fulfilled on the very days that they happened. And the fulfillment of Jesus on Pentecost was His ascension. He said, if I don't go back to the Father, guess what? He's not going to send the Spirit. So I'm going back to the Father so you'll have the Holy Spirit with you, right? So that was all, the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost hinged on Jesus Christ going back to the right hand of the Father. Then you have this church age that'll go over to the Feast of Trumpets. 
And when Jesus fulfills the Feast of Trumpets, when He comes back for the true believer, then the world will be plunged into great tribulation. The days of awe, the days of awe happen between Yom Kippur and the Feast of Trumpets. So let me go over and do this. You've got trumpets, all right, that takes place on parts of three days. All right? I shouldn't have done that, should I? Let me try this again. You've got trumpets that takes part on three days. All right? From that first day to the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, you have ten days. All right? So over here, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right? So from the end of trumpets, you have a seven. These are called the days of awe, troubled times. It's a picture of what's coming, right? So on the Feast of Trumpets, when the Lord comes back for the church, we call that the rapture, right? Because we borrowed the word from Latin, rapturo, and we just brought it over to the English. Forget those people that are so ignorant they say the word rapture is not in the Bible. That's, they, they, don't, they, show their, they, don't, they show they've not studied. The word hapo, would you rather say hapo gaysometha than rapture? None of our English words were in the Bible. None of them were. We had to translate what they did over to English. Same thing Latin did from Greek and Hebrew. So we just translate. So the concept, hapo gaysometha in the Greek, rapturo in the Latin, we just had to get a word in our language that means the same thing. So forget that stuff about people just trying to be ignorant. Now, these seven days, this period of seven is prominent all through Daniel and Revelation, right? We've seen that. So when Jesus fulfills the Feast of Trumpets, and I believe He's going to do that, the Bible says we don't know the day nor the hour, but we'll know the season. So you cannot pinpoint when God's people gathered on the Day of Trumpets. So let me explain this to you before I quit. These are Israeli feasts, Jewish feasts, that tell us about the return of the Lord. The, when, the, when the moon was right, they used a lunar calendar, right? Israel used the prophetic calendar's lunar. It's 360 days, not 365. We use a solar calendar. The prophets and the uh, prophecies of the end of time work off of the lunar calendar. The Israelites used the moon to determine their seasons and times, right? That's how we get all this stuff in the almanac, right? It's because of the gravitational pull of the moon. My granny knew all that. She knew when to plant beans and when not to plant them and when to wean a child and take their bottle away from them, whatever. All those, you know, when to plant, when to till, because if you till at a certain time, the weeds will be worse or less. You all, some of you know that. You put down gravel, all that stuff, because the gravitational pull of the moon. So the Israelis used the moon to determine these times. So when the moon got right, the new moon festival, right? He talks about that. Paul talks about the new moon festival. When the moon got right, they were watching for the season that that was in. This particular case, with the Feast of Trumpets, when they saw the time was right, the father's responsibility was to gather all of his family and get them close to where a priest would be sounding the trumpet or the shofar. It was his responsibility to get his family in a position to hear that because when they heard the shofar, they would go up to wherever God's people were going up to and assemble with the rest of God's people. 
beautiful picture of the rapture of the church. We, when we hear the trumpet sound, we're going to all go up together and assemble together. This feast of trumpets happens in the fall of the year. You'll know the season. You don't know the day or now. We don't know which year He's coming, but if, God, if Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts on the very days and weeks they happened, you would be totally taking everything out of context to say that He's not going to do the last three that way. So when the Feast of Trumpets is scheduled, I get a little antsy. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We don't even know the year. But we'll know the season. And Paul said that that day should not catch us unaware or off guard. Let me, uh, there's a lot to say about this. And then Israel's going to return to the Lord during those last seven, period of seven, as we saw tonight. David was king. It's a beautiful picture of how God works. When he became king, not everybody was happy about it. So the Bible says David ruled in Hebron for about seven years. His first part of his reign for those first seven years was done there in Hebron. The Bible says everybody that wanted David to be king went to him there. They ascended to Hebron. They're the ones that wanted him to be king. The rest of Israel was reluctant, right? Politics, whatever. David saw the, the battle between those households. After seven years, David took his throne from Hebron, moved it to Jerusalem, and exercised his authority over the whole nation whether they liked it or not. Beautiful picture of what God's going to do. Jesus is going to come in the air. Paul said, we're going to meet Him in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Thessalonians, both books, Corinthians, what Jesus said in Luke 21, we're going to, who wants, who's going to go in the rapture? The ones that want Jesus to be the King. The ones that have made Him the King of their life, right? We're going to do what? We're going to meet Him in the air. We're going to assemble to Him. We're going to be in heaven, not Hebron. How long are we going to be in heaven? Seven years. Then what's going to happen? What did Jude say? Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints. He's coming back to the earth, set up the new Jerusalem, and He's going to do what Psalm 2 just said. He's going to take over all the nations. He's going to rule them with the right arm, whether they like it or not. Beautiful picture of what happened with David is exactly what's going to happen with Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Let's give the Lord some praise for that. Amen. Now, I could go on all night, but I won't. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all you've done here. We just bless your holy name, Lord. And we ask you to forgive us of our sins, Lord, when we miss the mark. Mold us and make us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us not to be offended, Lord, at the world or at each other. We cannot move forward if we're offended, Lord. So help us not to be offended at the world, uh, even though they're doing things that we dislike or see that's wrong. Help us to keep compassion in our hearts. Help us not to be offended with each other, Lord. Help us to love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins, just like you do us, Lord. We thank you for that. We ask you to give us wisdom as we approach the end of time. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So if you... Uh...